A good evening and a warm welcome to all witches, weirdos, goblins and ghouls you are listening to the London Horror Society podcast. This is the podcast where we chat to people working across the genre, whether they be established or emerging, in front of or behind the camera, from first assistant director to final girl. Without any further ado, grab yourself a glass of Chianti, sit back, relax, enjoy. How the devil do you do? I am your host, Jim Dexter. Before we release episode one, I wanted to take the opportunity to sit down with Chris, founder of the London Horror Society and my co-producer on this very podcast, so that we can all get to know each other a little better. I know you'll probably be thinking, ugh, another horror podcast, or ugh, just another podcast in general, and in all honesty, that is totally fair. But in this prologue episode that we're affectionately referring to as episode zero, we'll chat through why we're doing the podcast, what the London Horror Society is, and what you can expect from season one and beyond. I've known Chris for a little while now, and we've met a handful of times, but Chris and I don't really know each other that well. So I thought this would be an ideal opportunity to learn more about him, how he got into horror, how the London Horror Society came to be, and what the team over at LHS do. Now, you might also be thinking, great, another podcast with two dudes talking about themselves. And again, that is totally fair. But rest assured, this is the most you'll hear out of me and Chris during an episode. From episode one and beyond, the focus will be on our infinitely more interesting guests and their work, but more on that later. After mine and Chris's chat, I'll tell you how you can win a free membership to LHS Pro. Uh, There's a free six-month membership up for grabs for one lucky winner and a free three-month membership for two runner-ups. Runners-up? I don't know. You know what I mean. Uh, Stick around to the end to find out how you can win. Finally, a little housekeeping. If you or a horror fan in your life is deaf or hard of hearing... A full transcript of this episode can be found in the show notes below. Just a caveat, this episode has been transcribed by an AI, and while it has been proofread and checked for errors, there are times where things slip through the net. For that, please accept my apologies in advance. If there are any errors and you have a moment, we'd be grateful if you were to let us know so that we can amend these, making it a smooth read moving forward. And now, without any further ado, here is my chat with Chris Niles, founder of the London Horror Society. Are you a witch, weirdo, goblin, or ghoul? This is so hard. It's so hard. I think when I kind of first looked at this question, you know, this really serious question that you uh, you wanted to to ask, I would have originally kind of gone for something like ghoul or goblin. I think I'm a witch. I think... Why, why a witch? Why why was that a tough one? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's like, what can I relate to, right? I mean, I'm a, oh, yeah, okay, I'm a bit of a weirdo, for sure. But am I a goblin or a ghoul? I mean, what, what kind of defines a goblin or a ghoul? Not too much, really, right? I mean, which, mm. however, you know, well, essentially all I want in life is to, you know, wander around with uh, perhaps a superior score following me around on a day-to-day basis. So I think nice. I think officially that's probably what I kind of run with the definition of there. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm going full witch. Yeah, I, I think that's a good one uh, for a producer. I would say like a witch is a conjurer of sorts. Yeah. Um. And I would kind of liken a goblin, maybe a bit of a rascal, um, a greedy, greedy kind of thing, just something puckish, maybe. I couldn't, yeah. Um, and yeah, ghoul, I don't know. 
but but I think this is something that we're going to flesh out as the podcast goes. Yeah, I know. Um, I feel I feel like these definitions are going to be interchanged by every single guest that we have, which is which is going to be half mm. the fun of this. Um, so I'm I'm flipping this back on you then. So as the man which is holding all the definitions, so you are which weirdo goblin or a ghoul? I I am a goblin, 100. percent Okay. Um, yeah, just greedy, trying to get my hands on everything that I can. Really nice. Um, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh chaotic maybe okay. but like in no, not in a destructive way but just uh kind of here here there and everywhere i'm a little bit all over the place at times but i, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily that's it I, I feel like as we go through this podcast we're essentially going to figure out that you know for every success in life you need a witch weirdo goblin and a ghoul for anything to succeed properly i think so it is quite nice that you know we're kind of filling out two of those gaps already on this 100 percent. i think yeah that is the horror a team exactly that's the uh, exactly yeah, that's who that's who you want on side that's what that's what i want that's what i want i want what is it ba murdoch hannibal <laughs> all, all of those to kind of fit into those those four 100 that's what i need um with that moving on how how did you get into horror films um in terms of watching them i think i probably got into them in exactly the same way that 98 percent of all horror fans did and that is you know finding an illicit recording in their parents, um, you know, VCR collection or VHS collection and did it from there. I'm, I mean, that, that start of that conversation could have gone anywhere. Couldn't it? You know, illicit videos. Yeah, that, really yeah I know. So to clarify, I'm talking about, you know, those kind of recorded off TV um, films that, uh, that my, uh, that my dad had a, a fantastic collection of. And I think I've been trying to kind of rack my brains as to exactly which one the first film was. I think it was the fog. I think that was the first one I kind of found mm. and watched and was terrified by. And I think, yeah, that's that's essentially when my kind of journey started into, you know, kind of chasing that kind of scared, spooky dragon as yeah. as kind of happens to some. Um, but yeah, and then it kind of escalated from there, really. I think The Fog's a really good one uh, to kind of break you into horror or break somebody into horror because it's it's there's a lot of tension in it, but it's not really overly uh, violent or bloody or anything like that. Sure, there are moments of violence in it, but it's not the most horrifying thing in the world. Yeah, well, you know yeah, I mean? tell so, that to nine-year-old Chris. That and there, <laughs> therein lies the issue. I mean, that scene. I mean, I don't want to get too much into this as we've got so much to cover. But that scene, right? There's the scene where um, the lad he brings home that bit of driftwood that happened to come from mm. the ship in it, the Elizabeth Dane. And then it starts mm-hmm. to essentially leak out water and it infects the uh, the record player that his mum's playing and then spouts this kind of mm-hmm. spooky, kind of horrible, um, you know, kind of story. And to this day, I cannot deal. If there's spooky voices or demonic voices in film, <laughs> still can't deal with it. Still can't deal with yeah. it. And it's because of the fog. And so, yeah, it broke me. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, wow. Yeah. Broke you. I know. So, so, I mean, is it the same for you? Is that how you got into it? Um, not really. I like, I used to think that I had always loved horror films and I kind of just told myself that that was the case, but in the lead up to us recording this, I, I figured that that probably wasn't actually the case at all. Um, there's one, I wouldn't say moment, I'll say incident, uh, one incident that kind of sticks out in my mind and I must've been about eight or nine years old. So around the same age that you were, um, I had a school friend sleeping over and, he had older brothers, um, one who was about 10 years older, I think. So he had kind of been exposed to a lot of like 
uh, you know, horror films and maybe things that eight, eight, nine year olds shouldn't be seeing or listening to. Like uh, I first heard Eminem uh, mm-hmm. through this guy, Blink-182 uh, and horror films as well. Um, so he was sleeping over and we had cable. Oh, nice. And flicking through the channels and uh, Bride of Chucky was on. And I was terrified, absolutely terrified. To this day, I've I've watched the Aubrey Plaza mm-hmm. reboot of Chucky, but I've not watched like any of the others. To this day, I'm, I still just don't go anywhere near it. Um, and I was booing my eyes out, absolutely terrified. I remember running upstairs to tell on him to my mum uh, because <laughs> he kept putting it on, and I t- I kept turning it off. And uh, it was like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and naturally, I think my mum was pretty pretty furious, but. Um, you know, so I, I didn't really have that kind of, you know, positive association to horror films that a lot of people do where they're kind of hooked into it. Um, looking back, I think what really did it for me was, uh, you know, I, I would watch like Goosebumps mm-hmm. and Scooby-Doo, um, you know, Are You Afraid of the Dark and things like that kind of, uh, you know, stuff that's aimed at children, like that kind of macabre, spooky kind of stuff. And I think it just kind of gradually went from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of sort of, I, I didn't really realize that I was into horror until maybe like my mid-20s. Yeah. Because I I didn't realize that I like actively liked horror films, if that makes sense. Huh. Interesting. Um, yeah. I it, it was, to me, it was just the same as comedies or thrillers or, you know, action films, really. It, I, it didn't really occur to me that there would be any kind of separation from horror films to everything else mm-hmm. in a way that makes sense no it totally does and so in terms of then so what was then the first horror film that you'd ever seen and and you know how did you then react to it well yeah like bride of chucky oh yeah that was one yeah um the first time i actually realized how cool and impressive and powerful horror could be uh was another sleepover not in my house this time um so my mum wouldn't have gotten mad at me <laughs> um, that wasn't the reason but um <laughs> so we, uh there was a bunch of people staying at this other person's house and they decided to put on the uh the amityville horror um and i think it was the reboot and it had just come out um or it had just come out on dvd or vhs or whatever i could i couldn't tell you what year i must have been about maybe 14 15 uh so yeah um and everyone was freaking out about it. And it was the first time I'd had a kind of horror viewing experience with a group of people. Yeah. So there may there was maybe about 10 of us. And that feeling in the room was kind of just, you know, I didn't realize how special it actually was then. Um, you know, looking back, I realized that is probably a pretty formative moment. And everybody kept screaming. And then the hosts, their mum came down uh, <laughs> because they they were pissed off. So mums don't like horror. No, um, who knew? You know, for, from what, yeah, right. Um but as uh, this person's mum comes through the door, uh, two of the girls just leap leap out of their seats and just start screaming their heads off. And it was the funniest thing ever. Um, and it, it's just amazing that like a, a film can uh, create that kind of like physical, tangible reaction. Um, so, I w- I, you know, I wouldn't say that that was my reaction to it. My reaction to somebody else's reaction was a good one. Yeah, but, uh, that's really interesting, but, uh, though, because I think, you know, watching horror films is such a it's such a better as a communal activity. Right. Where, you oh, know, you're watching it with other people because, yeah, half the fun is seeing everyone else's reactions, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, I yeah. think that totally sticks. I, I completely, completely relate to that. Yeah, I've um, I've always enjoyed watching horror at the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, just want to apologize to my fiance if she's listening for nearly ripping her fingers off when we watched Smile the other week. <laughs> um, 
if you're listening, darling, please forgive me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I have those reactions too. Um, and it's so funny. Like we watched uh, the Black Phone uh, a few months ago mm-hmm. when it was in the cinema, and um, I could tell that a jump scare was coming. Uh, just because you can tell, you can tell from the music, the way that the camera is moving, uh, you know, the pace of the character, how they step and stuff like that. You know, a jump scare is coming. Yeah, it still got me. Nice, still got me. Nice. Um, and yeah, it got it got everybody else in the cinema. Even though I'm pretty sure we all knew it was going to be there, but but you, but yeah, it is that uh, kind of lovely communal, uh, visceral experience that you kind of go through with total strangers. It's like going to a gig in a way. Yeah, do you know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. A similar kind of communal feeling where like everybody in that room is a stranger but for that moment in time you're all kind of in the same boat Mm -hmm. um and you're all on the same vibe which is always lovely yeah it's amazing uh moving on um if you could remake one film what would it be oh i mean this is this is infinitely harder for me to answer because i'm not a massive fan of remakes for the sake of remakes so i don't want to kind of you know become a hypocrite in episode zero you know there's plenty of time (laughs) for me to do this throughout the course of this first series so interestingly though when i was thinking about this you've already mentioned an example of one that i would actually think has kind of got merit so you mentioned goosebumps and are you afraid of the dark right Mm -hmm. those those two shows were amazing for me in the fact that i really enjoyed watching them you know they they did they weren't you know scary to me or, or anything like that because they came around when i was a little bit older but, you know, the kind of, you know, the little legends and stuff they explore, there's some really cool stuff in that, mm. right? And I would love to kind of see someone take those stories that, you know, of core audiences today that kind of grew up with, right? Which is exactly those stories mm-hmm. and make them horrible, like really dark and really right. kind of gnarly, visceral stuff. So for this... For the same people, essentially, exactly. because we're all grown up. Exactly. Now, so. This is like, look, man, yeah. this is what you kind of grew up on in horror. And now look what's mm. happened to you. And you're liking this now. You know, this is this yeah. is exactly it. So that or I mean, I guess, you know, Urban Legend, you know, from what was it? 93, I think something like that. Um, Urban Legend. Urban Legend. Yeah. You know that one? 93? Was it 93? Was it 93? It might have been. It was around the time where you had kind of, you know, it was one of the kind of the Scream runoffs where you had Scream, Are You Afraid? Um, oh, you're afraid of the dark. You know, I know what you did last summer. I know what you did last summer. Yeah, yeah. That, that kind of stuff. It was that kind of thing. And it um, it still has one of the best opening scenes in horror for me with Brad Dorf in a petrol station. I'm not going to spoil it if anyone hasn't seen it, but check it out. It's just the opening scene of that. It's great. It, that, it's been out for about 20 years. It, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, that, that whole it, But no, if you haven't seen it, because, you know, it's pretty sure. terrible, the film. So, you know, all likelihood you might not have. But the opening scene yeah, is amazing. Yeah. Now, that kind of urban legends, man, are just so cool for me. I think mm. anything you can kind of do to kind of bring those out and sort of, you know, develop those into something that's actually, you know, good. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. It, it would be great, I think. Yeah, I am like particularly interested in like the concept of urban legends like Mothman. Yeah, and, right. And stuff like that. There's there's one that I've always wanted to adapt into a film called uh, Spring Hill Jack, which was like a scary uh creepy jumping person in london that would assault people i think it was around the time of um jack the ripper nice okay um but i could just never i could never really break the story um could never really figure it out but i, I recently came across a filmmaker on instagram who uh you know they're doing it so good for them nice. more power to you yeah. there you go um, yeah nice but, but it'd be yeah, yeah. we could see it when that film comes out so what, what about you are you a remake guy um you know i i'm a goblin so oh, i'll take yeah. what I can chaos get. 
uh yeah you know and and i will watch everything um i really don't mind about remakes all that much like the my one gripe with kind of remakes is the you know allocation of budget that could be allocated to a brand new filmmaker with a new story Mm -hmm. um but you know that that's maybe a longer conversation for another time yeah um but yeah, I I don't really mind remakes. Like I liked, I kind of like the new Texas the Chainsaw Massacre one. I like Scream that came out last year. Um, I didn't really mind the new Halloween trilogy. So yeah, I'm kind of cool with remakes and requels. Nice. Um, I, I do like the idea of um, and pointing out when your your slips here of Texas the Chainsaw sounds incredible. I, I quite like the. Did idea. I say Texas? Yeah, Chainsaw yeah. But I want that. That's what I want now. I want a story <laughs> about a chainsaw called Texas. <laughs> who uh, who who mysteriously becomes animated and and takes out well Texas I guess I don't know kind of like um kind of like rubber or oh slaps. man see rubber is again one of the uh, most underrated films I think that you can get in mm. fact the director I think it's Quentin Dupieux I think and I'm murdering right. his you know brilliantly French name um he's had a couple of films come out this year that are both incredible as well he's again one of those filmmakers that should be you know, up there in terms of sheer creativity. Um, sorry, tangent. There you go. Yeah, that's no, <laughs> fine. Um, I I would actually probably remake. I know what you did last summer. Would you? Yeah. Okay. Let, I make it good. Maybe. Or 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 what? No, I make it worse. Okay, fine. No, no, no. I would, I would try and make it good. I think it's all right. It's fine. Like I I kind of grew up on those films. Like after the Amityville Horror incident that I referred to earlier. Um, you know, I watch a lot of like uh, Lake Placid, yeah, um, Deep Blue Sea, Ooh, stuff yeah, like that, yeah, yeah, um, Anaconda, nice, uh, ba- anything kind of water based. Yeah, water is terrifying. To be fair, it, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't actually. Maybe I'd remake Ghost Ship again. Oh, that's got one it, of the best, the be- one of the yep. best beginnings, yeah, in, yeah, yeah, in horror ever. And I'm pretty sure that any horror fan would agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would I would just use that opening scene. I'd use that opening sequence and then just remake the rest. Definitely. Do you know? Actually, you mentioned it. Amityville is probably due one. I mean, that's that's something yeah. that never seems to have been done brilliantly for everyone. No. I mean, I don't actually mind the original. The remake is a bit kind of. I mean, it's got Ryan Reynolds in it, right? I mean, it's not that bad. If Ryan Reynolds is in it, um, but um, it's yeah, it's one of those. Maybe you could give it to someone. I don't know. Make it really dark and deep. Like I don't know. Give it to Mike Flanagan or. Or someone like that to kind of really explore it or, or yeah kind of really get into the mystique of it i mean you say that part of me wonders if he was approached for an amityville horror remake and then he decided to make um you know the the house of bly manor or something <laughs> maybe, like that. maybe that's what it Do is know what i mean yeah maybe that was originally like inspired by amityville yeah i mean it could, well i mean the uh you know the haunted house things go bump in the night mm-hmm. um you know device isn't that uh new new (laughs) (laughs) you're right yeah so i reckon it's time to get to know us a little bit right i think Mm. you know we uh we're gonna be doing this hopefully for the long haul and meeting some really interesting people but it'll be remiss if we didn't you know learn a little bit more about each other i think exactly yeah that's it so i know that um you know we've obviously met talking about film production before and i I know Mm. this is a space that uh you very much operate in so what do you think Mm -hmm. the biggest challenge facing indie producers is right now um to be honest i would say it's probably the same as any kind of producer it's time and money yes um you know there's never enough time there's never enough money but that's nothing new um i will be completely honest um while i have been a filmmaker for the better part of 
I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, I really haven't been operating in the indie, indie space for that long. Mm-hmm. Um, I am in pre-production on two shorts at the moment. Um, so I will probably have to defer this question to maybe episode zero of season two. <laughs> um, because, yeah, to be honest, like I, I, I'm not 100% sure at the moment. I think it, it is similar, similar problems that anybody would be facing, mm. uh, no matter the budget. Um, you know, unless you've got like, you know, crazy, like Tom Cruise money, yeah. you know what I mean? But, but yeah, I think it's maybe people just kind of taking you seriously, trusting you. But other than that, you know, it's, it's the problem that has always been and will always be is time and money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it is. And it is great that you're kind of coming at this, you know, from, from a, you know, a, an early doors step. Right. I mean, mm. in terms of, you know, it, it, it's one of those things, isn't it? When, when you are getting into the start of producing stuff that, you know, it's something that you learn very quickly, right? I mean, stuff sort of starts flying at you really, really quickly. And it's it's kind mm-hmm. of good because you can obviously learn from those things. But what do you reckon's been, you know, since you kind of stepped through the, you know, well, through the production threshold, shall we say, you know, what's been the biggest mm-hmm. misconception that you've seen, you know, confirming or, you, or, or yeah, you can sort of concerning maybe this space since you've been involved in it? Yeah, again, uh, I'm not 100% sure yet because... So I maybe should have flagged this before we had uh, before we sat down to do this. So I apologize, <laughs> but um, I I was racking my brains about it, and I and I was hoping that I'd come up with something um, you know intelligent to say. But unfortunately, uh, I got nothing on that. But w- one thing I will say is like, um, you know, I have been like a filmmaker for a while, mm-hmm. as I as I mentioned, and I've been working in kind of the uh, corporate marketing commercial space for a while, mm-hmm. um, and now that I've kind of stepped through more into the indie narrative uh kind of low budget filmmaking side of things i realized that i knew barely anything um and i would say that probably the biggest misconception is ones that i maybe had about myself Mm. um in that you know i've i've been on you know probably done hundreds of shoot days uh over the last like six seven years or so yeah um and you know i've done a billion call sheets and uh, you know, directed a bunch of shoots, produced a bunch, um, AD'd a bunch as well. And I thought with that, you know, I'm ready to now step into this kind of other space. I've like kind of cut my teeth and I've I got my chops and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I it, it's a really strange position to be in to kind of have loads of experience, but feel inexperienced. Yeah. Um, and to, to have quite a lot of knowledge, but to not have much knowledge, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, so it's, it's an interesting kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's a bit of a misnomer in a way. Like I kind of, I know how to be a filmmaker, but I also don't know how to be a filmmaker as good as I thought I did. Mm. Um, so interestingly, I think that's kind of one of the reasons we're in a good position and, you know, a pretty good team to be doing this podcast as well is because you do have a lot of experience or a lot more experience than I do in that kind of indie space. Um, but I kind of have a cursory knowledge of indie filmmaking and some practical experience in uh filmmaking as well but for all intents and purposes i am still quite green um so yeah i think i think hopefully i'm trying to spin it so that that will be uh a a good thing yeah yeah i mean let's let's not kind of you know put people into uh, full sense of security here there's no one I, i would not consider myself anything other than green as well i mean this is this is the fun of this but this is where isn't this where it sort of lies right i mean i think i think anyone kind of getting into this 
one of the kind of the things that you need to know right is that no production is the same i mean that's the the first thing Mm. i've learned from kind of jumping from sort of different productions and every single or pretty much every single thing i've produced has normally had the the spine of the the same crew you know particularly the director Mm -hmm. and scott who i work with i mean it's one of those things that no production is um is the same as i'm sure everyone will kind of attest to mm-hmm. it's about it's about just kind of you know that's that's the experience you kind of need to learn right that you know it's i think always yeah. you know one of the best and most important things about being a producer is you need to be adaptable to kind of run with however said production kind of presents itself to you you know they're uh, they're fickle mm-hmm. beasts right um and i think oh, yeah. it's uh something you'll kind of always need to be aware of is that it's always going to change and that's mm-hmm. i guess i want to say the fun of it but it's not the fun of it because <laughs> it's a nightmare. But it's yeah, one of those things that uh, that comes easier with with time, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's just the the necessary evil of it. Yeah, the cruel truth of I it. I think so. I mean, and uh, look, the thing is, is that if it was if it was a kind of a carbon copy every time you did it, you know, eventually the films would start looking the same, right? And then if if it's it's kind of it would be detriment mm. to the product, right? If you if you're uh, if the way you were making sure. things was the same, then they would all start to look a little bit similar and then you would be testing yourselves in different mm. ways. And I think, yeah, it would, it would kind of negatively affect your output, I think. So it's good to kind of, yeah. you know, be wary that it's going to be different every time because that's what it should be, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. I mean, I had a bit of a penny drop moment uh, kind of a couple of years ago um, where I had a bit of a realization that producing is very much not, just nailing it and it all going smoothly um you know first first time or anytime you go out on set it's it's very much about being reactive when things go wrong because things will go wrong uh and and it doesn't mean that you're a bad producer it doesn't mean that you haven't prepared um and you know it it doesn't mean that you're not good at your job what you know what kind of defines whether or not you're good at your job is how you react when shit hits the fan oh, because it absolutely will no matter what a hundred percent and that is that is exactly i think um what everyone should have going the aptitude at and it, it, it's not even you know things that can go wrong it's things that can go right as well i mean i think there has mm. to be that kind of adaptability where i mean something plucking completely out of the air here but i don't know let's say you're on a shoot and all of a sudden you know you're due to start shooting in the morning and then all of a sudden you're set up to shoot this one way and then i don't know you get this amazing sunrise and it's like right okay right we've got to run with this you've got to change it around you know something something simple like that i mean it's a lovely situation to have when you can adapt for something better than you planned for i mean sure you know let's not kind of split hairs planning is the absolute kind of epitome of of getting a production right but like you said you can't plan for everything right i mean there's always going to be curveballs yeah it is it is it is tricky and i think you know this is the thing i think i think a lot of people kind of come into production you know they think they you know they, they're keen to kind of produce a film they want to do it and they there's there's this kind of not necessarily pressure i don't think that's the right word but you know you're trying to learn from others which is obviously a good thing to do but you know are trying mm. to or feel bad if they can't kind of recreate exactly what they they think they should you know there's it's, it's one of those jobs where there's mm. a million ways you can do it and succeed right there's i, I don't mm. think there's kind of any producer out there that works in exactly the same way as another you know it, it, it's very flexible it's just about finding what works for you and obviously critically for your productions you know mm-hmm. i think you you said something really interesting there that i just want to pick up on um about kind of uh not getting what you kind of imagined or thought you were you, what was it that you'd said what you'd kind of envisioned 
um it you know that that feeling that i think a lot of creatives have that whether they're you know painters writers filmmakers musicians mm -hmm. anything that it's um you know the final product isn't necessarily always what you had in your mind yeah um i think pretty much everybody can relate to that um i you know had that with a couple of shorts that i'd made before and to be honest i kind of just that kind of just made me not want to do shorts ever yeah. it was super super disheartening um i now looking back now that i know what i know and i've got the experience that i have i really wish that i had really just stuck with shorts because i think i would have maybe four or five more under my belt mm -hmm. um but you know one thing i would say if there is kind of like a first time uh director producer writer uh listening and you know you've kind of made something and it's not exactly as you thought it would be that's fine oh don't yeah that is absolutely um, no one is going to have a hundred percent output of perfect films it does, no. doesn't work i mean you just have to especially if you're making short films for festivals and for for no money you know or, mm -hmm. or low amounts of money it doesn't matter if it's bad it's a learning curve right i mean everyone has to adapt absolutely like every single project is a learning experience and it's you know lessons that you can take forward to your next project exactly um you know no one is born with an inherent knowledge of filmmaking mm -hmm. um you know some people may be naturally talented in the way that they can write or the way they talk to people but ultimately it comes down to hard work and perseverance um it absolutely does Look, it's one of those things of i mean it, this is one of those jobs producing is one of those jobs where you can't kind of shirk it like you said it's hard work and, mm. you know, if, without hard work, you're going to get kind of a, an inferior product, which is sad because, I mean, they all deserve to, you know, have a lot of time put into them. But you mentioned um, that you're obviously you've got a couple of projects that you're going to be working on. I mean, is that mm -hmm. something that you're hoping to to have done in the next year or so? What, what, do, you, what do you think? Yeah, so we've got a no budget short being shot next week um, that I'm producing and the hope is that maybe that can be done around... Uh, I think February. Nice. Um, uh, because we will be submitting something, which I'll uh, mention to you later. Um, I wonder what that could be. <laughs> well, well, we'll put a pen in that. We'll come back. Um, yeah, so working on that. And I'm also producing a sequel to a uh, zombie film, uh, which came out, I think, maybe seven years ago. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, really cool film. I think it has been announced, uh, but I'm not sure what I am allowed to say. Okay. Um, so I won't mention the title here. Okay. Um, uh, so I'm hoping that I can kind of nail these two. Um, I, you know, I've been working on sick hips quite a lot. So we've got two musical artists on our roster, uh, two short films coming out and also this podcast coming out on sick hips. So my hope, my hope is that, um, you know, towards the end of next year, I can maybe start to, you know, gradually, uh, tiptoe away from the marketing kind of corporate world and, and just hopefully go full time with, um, with filmmaking mm. like narrative filmmaking so you know i am very much on the lookout for um for a feature script uh preferably something low budget that i could shoot uh or produce next year um but please don't send me unsolicited scripts um <laughs> just just to caveat that there um you know and i don't have any money so if you if you hear the words like oh he's a producer and he's looking for a script don't get your hopes yeah, up. It's not, it's not that kind of deal. Isn't that that uh, is that is a, the most sage piece of advice that you could probably give to people that are starting yeah. out here. It's like, yeah, just don't assume nobody's got any money. This is the hardest thing you'll try and do. It's <laughs> no. just the hardest thing. Um, yeah. So actually, interesting segue there. Actually, onto the subject of advice because I think you know there's there's so much that kind of goes round, isn't there? That uh, that you mm. know, and it, it's it's up to you what you want to take. I mean, I always think it's great if someone experienced gives you nuggets of wisdom. I mean, is there anyone? Mm. Or anything that you know you've had any kind of solid 
guidance or advice from that you've really kind of stuck with? Yeah, I, you know, uh, probably my old head of production, a woman called Becky. Um, She was just super bang on it. And she was kind of one of those people that really helped me with that uh, realization about, you know, how you deal with things and stuff like that's what producing is. Um, And at first, you know, she would she would ask things like if we're shooting in a studio, she goes, it's soundproof. I'm like, I don't know. Well, you need to find out if it's soundproof. Like, why is she always on my ass about it being soundproof <laughs> and um <laughs> basically it turns out that someone on a previous production that she'd worked on uh had booked a studio and it wasn't soundproof and then in the next studio they were like had power tools going and stuff all day um so basically she had to negotiate with those builders to do all the power tool stuff in between takes uh, <laughs> because they were recording audio um and you know, she had been on so many productions, she had worked on so many things, and she's so, so good at her job that, you know, just being able to work with her and absorb a lot of that knowledge was, um, you know, was was priceless. Like, I learned more from her in maybe two and a half years than I did in, um, you know, uh, when I studied at university, studied film yeah, at university. Yeah, it's amazing, um, the practical knowledge that you can kind of pick up, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, she would always ask me things like, have you thought of this, have you thought of that? And I'm like, well, no, I haven't. No, who would think of that? And the reason she's asking me all of these random questions is because there was a moment when she hadn't thought of that and she had made those mistakes. So she's not kind of pulling me up going, you know, in a, in a, you suck kind of way. It's, she's kind of sharing her experience and her knowledge uh, with me, which is, you know, what I think is the right thing to do as a filmmaker is to kind of pass that knowledge on and and help people out rather than just uh, berate somebody which you know i have worked i have worked with um those people before those bosses why didn't you think of this you know million to one odds thing yeah that after happens. the fact you know why well. yeah yeah why, why didn't you anticipate this and it's like i don't know but you know again going back to um you know producing it's that's the job do you know what mm-hmm. i mean you you kind of make these mistakes you hold your hands up to it and you go, Hey, I fucked up. And you know, I'll try not to do it again. Yeah. Um, it's experience, man. I mean, this is, this is exactly, exactly what we're saying, right? The, the only way that she knew that is because she learned the hard way. And I think, like you said, I think the best thing that anyone can do is pass on those kind of easy things that, you know, are so easy in hindsight, but you'd never probably think of to stop someone else having that same kind of feeling of dread of, Oh God, this isn't going to mm. work. And now what am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. She sounds um, great though. Are we getting her on? uh yeah oh, let's get becky on but, this is it it's, okay if, if she can't do it i'm gonna get her on for some sort of you know this is your life special and uh, <laughs> surprise you with, with with becky coming in and telling uh, us about how great you were to work with no well <laughs> i can relive all of my screw-ups there you go because there were many there were many um but yeah shout out becky if uh for some reason you've stumbled upon this podcast incredible um <laughs> all right so last thing before uh before we, mm. we stop focusing on you, um, mm. you know, you, you've, you've obviously you're, 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 you're going headfirst into the indie stuff, which is amazing, but you've also been, yeah. you know, you've had, you've done some seriously great work for, uh, for the sort of the, the marketing side of things. I mean, what, mm-hmm. what would you say is your kind of biggest career success so far? Um, I'm still having a job. Uh, is, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a good one. Be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't really talk about this very often. Like, I am a uh, BAFTA-nominated producer um, for my grad film uh, that was written and directed by Joe Allman. It's called Meat on Bones. Uh, so that was directed, for, sorry, that was nominated for Best Short Film. Didn't win, unfortunately. Uh, so no thanks to the Academy for that one. 
Um, but ironically, that kind of started before my actual, that was actually before my career started. Um, so that was our student film at the end of uni. Um, you know, and it's all just been downhill from there, to be honest. With you. <laughs> well, this is it. I mean, when you start with a BAFTA nomination, it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to get up there. I mean, look, this is it's the, exactly. it's the win next. I mean, that's the best thing. Yeah. That's what you, you've you've had that kind of you've had that. Is that a motivator for you? The fact that you've been nominated for something like that is is there like a kind of a motivation to try and go on and win one? Not really, to be honest. Okay. I think. Um, Awards are nice. Don't get me wrong. You know, we 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 did win some awards for that film and stuff like that. Um, they they are they are nice. It's nice to get recognition. Um, you know, when someone tells you that they like what you've made, uh, it your brain lets you have some of the good chemicals, yeah, and it feels right. very nice. You know, but I think I am mainly motivated by just trying to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to get the thing done. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, just just getting off my butt and just doing stuff like you know if i i can't i can't like operate in like with that stuff in mind yeah do you know what i no, mean that because makes sense. it will just it, it will it will just permeate kind of my consciousness and i won't i'll all of my decisions will be dictated by is that award worthy yeah am yeah, i yeah. gonna win an award? do you know what i mean and it's it's not good for story it's not good for the way that you um uh, kind of work with your crew or your team yeah it's it's just not a good way to write um i for me i it's not no a ben, it's not a beneficial motivator no yeah okay that's fair enough um so we one of my questions is about producing uh which we have covered a bit of but you know if you feel like there's anything that we've missed out could you just give me a bit of an overview on what being a producer is like um i would imagine that your experience well your experience with producing is much different to mine i would say I mean, maybe. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, you, you never know, you know, how how kind of different it would be. I mean, I'm I'm not as experienced as you production wise because you know you've been doing this for for a living for a little while. I mean, I've uh, it, it's something that I kind of picked up, um, almost kind of fell into really, um, and uh, something you know I've been working with 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 great people for for a number of years now, and I've been lucky enough to kind of work on um, sort of different projects and have steadily kind of tried with each production I've done to do something a bit bigger and a bit better um, than the last as you know, that's kind of the mantra I kind of want to want to do. I'm a bit like you, right? I just want to get better. And I think, you know, Mm. by you, the only way you can kind of do that is by, is by testing yourself on, um, on sort of various different aspects from, you know, it can be from anything. It's like, right, can we do this with a better lighting rig next time? Can we do better sound? You know, some, anything like that, you know, Mm. just progress with every single one um but um but yeah i mean it's it's difficult i think to say what you know what production is or or what it is to be a producer i mean interestingly i'm i'm going to kind of hark back to a, an interview i did um which has always stuck with me with a guy called uh, Oliver Kassman, who was one of the producers for um, Saint Maud, which was released a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Interviewed him for uh, for one of our LHS Pro Q and A's, uh, and he he kind of came out with the I'm going to paraphrase this, so I'm sorry, Oliver, um, but it was uh, a producer is essentially like somebody that's trying to control an ever raging dumpster fire without trying to inhale lungs and lungs of you know airborne <laughs> shit which um which which kind of lands i mean it, it's one of those things where you know there is always going to yeah. be something we, we've already talked about this right there's always going to be something on mm. set that goes wrong yeah. and it is a case of mm-hmm. just kind of managing and kind of working and you know it, it's not easy i mean i personally um everyone kind of laughs at me 
about this because they all love it. But I find being on set is the most stressful thing. It's the most mm. stressful place you can be. I personally mm. hate it. It's a necessary evil, though. I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things because, look, you're on there and it is just a kind of a, a pressure cooker of what can go wrong and stress and lack mm. of sleep and lack of food. You know, it is mm. not a nice place to be. Right. Mm. And I think, you know, being a producer is about just kind of producing. Right. I mean, it sounds kind of trite, doesn't it? But it's not. It's, you know, kind of taking these high pressure situations and ensuring mm. i mean what I, I see my job as is ensuring that the creative team can create the best vision or the best you know film or or, or whatever as they can yeah. and if i can help them do that i wouldn't say i'm not a creative because you know i have creative ideas i don't impart them on people but mm. you know yeah my job i see is to enable people to get the best out of what they want to do and if 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 they yeah. can kind of turn around and say to me yeah that's that's exactly what i wanted to do then I see that as as my job done, you know. Mm. If um if people ask me what bit what producing is or what being a producer is like, I always just say that it's it's basically trying to get the right people in the right place at the right time with right. all the right equipment yeah. for the right amount of money, which is much easier said than done. Yeah, I mean, isn't it? <laughs> um, so with that, I would imagine that you know you've run into a fair few challenges because you you've got a couple of features and a couple of shorts under your belt, mm-hmm. um. So I imagine you've run into some challenges, but could you give me an example of like one that sticks out in your mind uh, and how you dealt with it? Oh. So that's I know that's a really like job interview kind of question, <laughs> and I've only just realised that now that I've said it out loud. That's it. Uh, yeah, that's it. You you can be taking notes, and that's it. I mean, just let me know if I get the job yeah. right. I mean, uh, please do. It'll probably be a second interview. So, well, I uh, hope and so, then, and, yeah. and a, you know, some sort of uh, written presentation <laughs> that I'd have to give. Sure. Um, but I mean, I guess uh, I mean <laughs> I could be here all day. But I think the one that kind of stood out as it was, um, it was kind of something that, you know, just the one thing I didn't want to go wrong kind of would. And this was an interesting one because, you know, when you kind of organize something and you think this just doesn't feel right, but it's in, it's done, it's organized and you think it's going to be absolutely fine. Mm. Um, And, you know, it wasn't, which is one of those things where, you know, if you trust your gut, if there's something in there, then, you know, you should explore that. Um, but so this was on our um, the last feature I did, which was a film called Walking Against the Rain. Um, it was shot up in the Lake District, which has its challenges because it's hilly up there. The roads are tiny and it's very kind of isolated, particularly in the places that we wanted to film. And mm. on our last day, we were filming um, in a little uh, little location called Lake Buttermere, which is a huge, huge private lake, um, mm-hmm. which is obviously up in the Lake District, as I said. And um, the only kind of space that was kind of near us and usable was this kind of little cabin, um, which is which is in the film. So couldn't really kind of use it for any location. So we needed to hire a um, trailer for um, for actors, obviously, and, um, and and cast and crew to kind of you know, chill out in. Um, so we'd ordered it. We booked like it. Unit-based. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was our it was yeah. our kind of entire unit and. Um, mm-hmm spoke to the uh the the rental company they were great they were like oh yeah amazing yeah we were actually up in the lake district the other day all fine and i said you know look we need this it's going to be up this but it is kind of up a mountain and in there oh yeah is it has it got a car park yep perfect no problem it'll be absolutely fine and i was like do you do know it is you know bearing in mind this is a big old trailer but you do yeah. know that the roads are thin. yeah don't worry like i said we're all up there so that was all fine I feel like i can see where this is going. yeah and then the day before 
um day before we were due there and and our call time for the last day and this was the last day of filming by the way the call time was 3 a.m so it was you know early doors it was an all-day affair um the night before or no actually to be fair they gave me some notice it was lunchtime the day before um it was uh yeah we've had a look and we we can't get there we just can't get down the roads and it was like, oh okay um you know you know when you can't be angry because you what, what can you say what's the point in getting angry because i haven't got time and i was like well what's the point in getting angry but i think i did yeah. casually drop in it's like oh, oh hey you know that kind of passive aggressive laughing where you're kind of just giggling to yourself it's like oh, mm. I you said you know you've been up here and it's all fine yeah. now you're lying yeah um so there was, there was a lot of that and then it was like okay well shit now we're in big trouble so um yeah luckily uh we managed to say to um so the we were essentially filming just off a farm um and um the 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 person that had rented out the house the little kind of the location we had in the little cabin um was amazing she's probably one of the nicest people we've ever kind of taken a location from and super helpful and she just happened to know the people that were renting the farmhouse from them um or from the from the farm um, she gave me their phone number and um, I phoned her up and it must have, you know, I must have reeked of panic and desperation, but she was lovely. And um, I said, look, this is going to sound really weird, but we're filming <laughs> kind of at the other end of your, uh, of your land in this little cabin. And um, mm. we've had this problem. And I said, is there any chance that at 4.30 AM tomorrow morning, so you know 10 people kind of embark in your <laughs> in yeah. your uh yeah, yeah in your you know back room so we can kind of just you know we're just like well let's just get we can get makeup and hair sorted and charge batteries we'll be fine we can kind yeah. of figure out everything else and mm. she was like oh yeah absolutely no problem at all yeah see you at 5 30 in the morning and the palpable relief of just oh you kind of want to fall to your I, knees i did you, like, i think i did yeah, fall yeah. to my knees and and do, do you know the, <laughs> the stupidest thing and the funniest thing about it is that it was infinitely better than a trailer would have been because we actually had you oh, know a proper place we could just kind of come and go i mean it wasn't it wasn't super close it was about sort of a 10 minute walk from exactly where we were filming but you know ideal perfect we had a base yeah. and yeah i honestly dread to think what we would have done I, I don't actually think it was such a big day it was like a you know we'd actually for yeah. other reasons that might come out later on in the podcast we actually had to cost up to try and move that day anyway and it would have been at right. least 50 to 80 grand to actually shift that day's filming. And I, in my head, <sighs> I was like, this is going to have to be what's going to happen here because we can't shoot Yikes. without a base. Mm. But yeah, it came through. It was fine. Um, so yeah, that was that was one where blood pressure was uh, was racing for about six hours. But sure. yeah, get through it. You could count the you can count the gray hairs as they popped out, I bet. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've had those days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cool. So with that, uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit to ask about the London Horror Society, the reason you and I are sat having this conversation at the moment. Mm -hmm. So you founded the London Horror Society around eight years ago, I think? Yeah, I think it maybe even nine, maybe even ten now. I mean, this is one of those things. Okay. The, 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 it's difficult to track because it's been through so many different iterations. So I, I set it up essentially as because my friends hate horror movies. And I kind of needed, so this was, this was back kind of right, right when, you know, social media was starting to take off, you know, after MySpace, mm. you know, kind of real social media, like Facebook, things like that was taking off. And, you know, I, all I wanted to sort of do was, you know, I, I knew I liked horror movies. I hate watching them on my own. Um, and so I was like, oh, look, I need to find other people to watch horror movies with. So I, I did kind of like a, a, you know, rudimentary search online to try and find 
some sort of club where losers like mm. me to, could, that didn't want to watch horror movies on their own could go and watch with other people. We've talked about like, like you know, strength in, in solidarity and watching horror is way better anyway. Yeah. And I couldn't find one. Um, so I thought I'll set up my own one and kind of that's where its initial roots kind of came from, um, mm. which was great. I mean, it was, it was kind of fun as what it was. And then I was lucky enough to be sort of introduced through this to people. I mean, to clarify, I have no background in filmmaking. I have no background in, you know, any kind of production um, before this. But, you know, I started to meet these filmmakers who were, you know, not making, I didn't even know, I don't think that, you know, indie film really kind of almost existed as a thing or, you know, as like a real mm. kind of, you know, entity. And all of a sudden I was watching these films from these indie producers that have made them themselves. And I was kind of almost blown away by it. I was like, what, you can kind of make stuff that looks this good, you know, with friends or you know a small crew and actually not a lot of money and i was kind of just i was just hooked from there and i was like right you know if you guys do this you know i again like i said i have no background in in filmmaking or anything like that but i will happily help you in any way you can and it kind of transpired that you know i could maybe help with you know promotional side of things you know maybe kind of create you know my background is very much kind of like a marketing and community creating background anyway so i thought well, you know maybe i can use that kind of skill set to sort of help here and that's when we kind of evolved into you know what we are now which is you know helping people kind of get their passion projects either made or at least seen right and you know appreciated and find audience for people and yeah here we are i mean it's uh it's been a been a hell of a journey to get to where mm. we are but yeah it's um I'm really proud of what we've achieved. You know, I, I'm really proud. Yeah. And, you know, I absolutely think that you should be. Um, so full disclosure to uh, people listening, like I am not technically part of the London Horror Society. I am a, uh, you know, paying member. Um, and it's been great for me. It's put me in touch with uh, loads of different filmmakers from, you know, different departments and stuff. And it's a really good place to bounce ideas uh, off of other people and just chat. And just uh, just have some some horror pals who are, you know, yeah. just like you. Uh, so it's a nice it's a nice place to be. Thanks, man. Um, That's nice to hear. So, yeah, um, you know, so I mean, I've only been a member for maybe uh, six months or so. Maybe well, I don't know when we first started chatting around May. Yeah, I think so. Um, so yeah, I only became a mem- member uh, kind of middle of this year, and. You know, I feel like uh, it's, yeah, just a great place to be. Um, it's, just, it's just, it's good people, full of very, very good people. Um, yeah, we've got some gems. But yeah, absolutely, 100%. So with that, could you kind of just give me a little bit more info on, um, uh, you know, what LHS does? Because you've, you've gone from kind of, like you were saying, like a film watching kind of club uh, to now it's kind of more focused on the, um, you know, it, it is still that kind of film club kind of thing, but there's, um, you know, more, a lot of focus now on uh, production, helping people with production. So in, in your own words, can you just tell me a little bit about like, um, you know, the, the kind of regular things that you guys do? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, I think the, I've, I've long tried to kind of figure out exactly what our kind of mission is. And I think what, to me, the, the point of the LHS is essentially, it sucks to me that people can kind of come up with a great idea for a film but doesn't don't have necessarily you know the knowledge or the warehouse or the know-how warehouse that's not even a word the knowledge or the know-how <laughs> to kind of get it together which you know it's a, a very minute percentage of people would know how to do that but mm. i think 
what I would love to have is somewhere where somebody can come to us with an idea and we actually kind of help put the wheels together and actually get it made. Right. And I think mm. we can do that through our community, because as you said, one of the powers that we have is we have got a community of people that operate through the entire spectrum of filmmaking. We've got mm -hmm. you know, budget specialists, cameramen, sound designers. We've got, we've got everyone. So in yeah. theory, if somebody wanted to come to us with an idea, you know, and they were happy to sort of produce it, we might actually be able to hook them up and actually get something made, which is, which is kind of really cool to us. And I think, yeah, that's, that's what I kind of see us as, I mean, we have sort of various different ways that we can kind of help doing that. I mean, we obviously have um, our free membership for what we call creators, which is obviously anyone that is, you know, sees themselves as creative, which could be in any different discipline. And um, one of the main um ways we kind of get together is we hold what we call um, online speed pitching sessions which is essentially just a zoom call where people can kind of join um tell us maybe a little bit about what they're working on and what they need a bit of help with and um we try and hook them up with either a other people on the call or b other people that we might know and you know we, we get that essentially you know networking and trying to kind of meet people can be a, a really scary thing sometimes particularly you know mm -hmm. i think it's i think the film industry is is easy if you're an extrovert because you can meet people and and that is one of the easiest ways of, of getting on in this industry is you know meeting and greeting people but you know if you're sure. not maybe a major extrovert you maybe you're an introvert is mm -hmm. it's really really hard to do that and i think what we try to do with with speed pitching is kind of make a really kind of a you know not not necessarily a safe space i don't think that's right but you know somewhere that's very friendly low very, pressure very low pressure very you know you just mm. just a kind of a phone you know it's just a zoom call i mean if you don't want to read out a pitch or something we will absolutely read it out for you um mm. and just kind of just yeah like i said just kind of grease the wheels because i think you know it can be a scary business right 100 uh, percent um, you know, I, and I think that's uh, one thing that I noticed is that I probably wouldn't have gone to one of the meetups had I not done like the speed pitching mm -hmm. or the, the writer's room or anything like that beforehand. But having those kind of things as icebreakers kind of, um, you know, I, you, I know I said I'm chaotic, but like I'm not really that much of an extrovert. I'm quite a homebody. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I stay in a lot. But, you know, those things, those little icebreakers were really kind of crucial for me to be able to go out and do the meetups with you guys and yeah stuff as well. I'm, I'm glad because i think that's the thing i think once the ice is broken it is easier and i think mm. you know one of the one of the things i'm really proud of is that you know we've had i won't name him he's a pro member um a member of our pro service but you know we he's been ever present pretty much at all of our speed pitching sessions so we've essentially been able to kind of help him on almost every stage of his production journey to mm. kind of giving him i think we um we hooked him up with an editor we hooked him up with um a, uh, I think it was a VFX artist or certainly kind of a sound editor as well. And kind of almost, you know, I'm not going to say we finished his film because we didn't, you know, he did that, but mm. you know, and it, it's been great to kind of chart it in every single um, session that we've done. It's like, no, we've done this now and then we can do this. Mm. And, you know, if we can replicate that for other people, honestly, that would just be the, the best thing. Right. I mean, look, yeah. I, I guess it's, I, I'm a horror fan at heart, obviously. And I want to see as much great content as we can. And, you know, if we can kind mm. of facilitate people making great things then yeah. amazing absolutely yeah no i totally agree um i think that's kind of the beautiful thing about horror as well as it does have that kind of communal aspect to it 100%. people kind of just mucking in uh doing what they can offering what they can just 100%. to try and get some stuff over the line and look um, there is there is no i have always been amazed and wowed and you know i was fully 
immersed in this and they, they kind of suckered me in. But the UK horror community is without doubt one of the most supportive kind of what is it an entity a being i don't know what you could kind of call it it's it's just it's amazing and you know there is no one more supportive than that community if they kind of if you mm. kind of latch on and if you kind of you know you, you go to them to support your film or to try and get support for your film or help they will help 100%. and it's amazing i th- i think it's honestly one of the only kind of like um i don't know if i'd call it underground these days but like it's one of the only kind of uh community centered around something creative that doesn't really feel competitive yeah um you know there i i've kind of been in the um like the rock music or the punk music scene a little bit mm-hmm. in london now and then um and you know very various other kind of like communities and stuff like that and there does always seem to be a bit of an air of competition um and i just really don't get that from the you know uk horror kind of community like it's very very collaborative mm-hmm. um you know and, and I, w- I would guess i would anticipate that that might be a misconception for somebody else on the outside looking in um because i always i always kind of get this reaction when i tell people that i like horror films they they seem to think that i'm a weirdo just like obsessed with like blood and guts and do you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> and like I, I i stopped doing it now because like i feel like i don't have to justify myself but i used to have to like justify myself go like I'm, I'm not like a murderer. I'm not like crazy. Do you know what I mean? It's just, I just like scary films. That's all. Um, but you know, like within the community and stuff like that, it is very much not like crazy weird mm. people. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's very loving, very supportive, very open, and you know, people are just willing to like muck in and lend a hand if they can. It's you know, it's it's heartwarming. It's lovely to see. It is. It's, it really it's is the exact opposite of what you would see on screen for a horror film do you know what i mean just think of the exact opposite of that and that's it exactly and look i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get political here well i am a little bit but you know in in a in a world certainly as a country you know we've never been more fractured right as as a community so to have one kind of one thing in the background where it unites people is just such a lovely thing to have Mm -hmm. yeah and that's the only politics talk we will ever have on the show although saying that horror is inherently political exactly. it always has been it is the one um, one genre where you can kind of explore any kind of societal mess yeah. that you want to and do it in a in creative ways which is which is very liberating absolutely it's beautiful to see so with that i think we're running out of time so i've got one more question for sure. you chris what does the future hold for the london horror society i want like i said i just want to kind of anything we can do to make making stuff easier i mean what a horrible tagline let's make making stuff easier (laughs) (laughs) i I think i said i work in marketing i obviously haven't done it very well it was very snappy right (laughs) but i mean we just want to kind of keep growing i mean we just want more people um Mm. you know in our midst and um you know it's not in a way you know we want more people to kind of help other people that's not the case you know we want to help Mm. you know people realize their kind of creative goals right and you know we have um we have ways that we can try and do that through our our um our free and our our paid services but you know we want to kind of we want to go beyond that we want to kind of start knocking down those roadblocks that are kind of hindering people you know whether that is finance whether that is um distribution of of kind of short film content you know we want to that that's kind of where we kind of really want to sort of start nailing into now because look it's all well and good getting something made 
but you know if there's if there's not the kind of the audience to see it then you know it's it's i mean it's not a failure but i mean it will be mm -hmm. sad right i mean because a good piece i mean i've always said you know i've seen some independent films that are equally as good if not better than some of the, you know the big box office smashes but would you know where to find that if you were kind of like a casual film watcher absolutely no. not but you know they're not gonna they don't necessarily not watch your stuff because they don't want to they just don't know you exist right mm. and i think you know if we can kind of just start to sort of scrape away at that ridiculous market share that the studios have on content in you know yeah, they have $20 million marketing budgets, right? So they can kind of advertise and blow you out of the water. But, you know, no, sure. is, is there, there must be a way that we can just kind mm. of scratch away and make, you know, not everything, but, you know, the kind of the, the creme de la creme of indie, you know, maybe we can kind of just bring it to a bigger audience. And with that, help people really kind of climb the career path. You know, and yeah, it's interesting that you say that, um, you know, about getting it in front of more people. I think now is like a really, really good time for horror, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, if you look at the year that we've had, uh, regardless of how anybody feels about these films with, you know, Scream, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Terrifier 2, uh, Barbarian, Smile, uh, and a whole bunch of others, you know, some of them are really low budget indie kind of things that are now getting, um, you know, massive attention. Same with, uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, mm -hmm. like super low budget kind of film, but is now kind of in Forbes, Hollywood Reporter, all kinds of things because yeah. it's kind of gone viral. That's right. Um, the world is very much looking at horror right now. And I think we are seeing like a really, really big resurgence, which is beautiful. Um, I think it's in part uh, due to the last couple of years with productions obviously not being able to go ahead because maybe uh, they didn't have enough budget to put in the right kind of safeguarding things. Uh, so I think now that this year has been really good because we've been able to have that kind of influx of productions that were maybe halted for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a, it's been a good time for horror, uh, generally for the world less so. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think that now we're going to start seeing a lot more horror, uh, both in the mainstream and kind of the underground. I think more I people are going to be getting into agree. it. I completely agree. I think everything is cyclical in, in the film industry, right? And I think as Absolutely. soon as you start to get hits that come around, then everyone kind of seems mm -hmm. to jump on that bandwagon. And Smile has been a huge proponent of that. I think Absolutely. now that's kind of come out of a studio and a studio's done well with a, with a horror movie, then... Mm. it's it's kind of kind of go and obviously you've got to talk about the uh the blumhouse and the um james wan's production company merger as well if that goes off mm. i've got another powerhouse there terrifier 2 has completely revolutionized the or i say revolutionized is probably the wrong word but it has taken you know it's shocked you know the indie horror world mm. with with decent you know uh, you, how when is the last time you had an indie horror film of that level actually yeah. make a mark at the box office you know the cinematic oh, box course. office that's yeah. going to change things you know all of a sudden and this is it there's might now be money available for punts. You know, well, well, I'm not saying it's going to be easy to get, but it might actually be there, which, you know, how cool is that? Exactly. I think there is definitely more of a chance now. Um, and yeah, I kind of just, I think we should wrap this bit up just by saying like, now is the time. If you're thinking about writing that script, write it. Yep. If you're thinking about shooting that short, shoot it. If, you, if you're thinking about, you know, joining London Horror Society, join yeah. us. Man, we'll we help. This is what horror. we're here for. Yeah. This is it. We can, we can support everyone every step of the way. 100% like now is the perfect time horror you know horror is always going to be there it's not going anywhere but now is um you know a really good time to kind of get get people's eyes on your projects if it's already out start shouting about it start bragging about yourself start showing people your stuff uh, just just keep making stuff now is a really 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 good time so just get it get it done 
and show it to us. Exactly. Get it done. It was really interesting to sit down with Chris and learn more about his experiences, how he got into horror and filmmaking, as well as how the London Horror Society came to be. Uh, particularly as our experiences overlap in some areas, but are totally different other, in others. Uh, as Chris and I were saying, now feels like the right time. It's been a really great year for horror, and this next year looks to be even better. It's the perfect time to take that leap and make your film, so we wanted to collect as much knowledge as we could and share it with you. So be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode, whether you're a first-time filmmaker or a seasoned veteran. We hope you'll find this to be a good resource of filmmaking information. At the beginning of the episode, I alluded to a competition to win some memberships. Uh, in case you haven't seen it already, we put out a little short film to announce the podcast. This short has references to a bunch of films throughout. All you have to do to win is spot the references and send an email to londonhorrorpod at gmail.com with competition as the subject and name as many of the films as you can. Uh, full terms and conditions are in the show notes below. Good luck. If you would like to join the London Horror Society, you can do so by clicking the link below. If you do, you'll be joining a community of like-minded horror fans and filmmakers who just want to help each other succeed and enjoy horror together. I've been a member now for around six months and I've become fast friends with a bunch of people by working with them, meeting up for a couple of beers and hanging out in the LHS Pro Discord. Everyone is welcome, whether you're a hardcore horror fan or just a casual viewer. You don't need to be a filmmaker or anything just need to be yourself. I'll even let you in on a little secret. You don't need to live in London to join. You don't even need to live in the UK. We've got members from all over the world, including the United States, Scandinavia, Australia, Canada, India, and a whole bunch of other places. So come along, join us. We'd love to have you. Before I let you go, I just need to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and you think it might be useful, we'd, we'd be really grateful if you could share it with a friend and give us a rating. If you think it's worth five stars, we'll take the five stars. But if not, that's totally fine as well. Rating the podcast just helps the algorithm and helps kind of get it into other people's feeds. Uh, basically get us more listeners so that we can kind of help more people on their filmmaking journey into, hopefully, horror. If you could, we'd be really, really grateful. Um, but in the meantime, thank you for listening, you beautiful witches, weirdos, goblins and ghouls. We will catch you next week when we chat to the evil duo behind Switchblade Cinema. Until then, stay weird, stay spooky, keep up the good work. Oh.